Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss all three of the Fifty Shades films. You don't have to have seen any of them to enjoy the podcast, although I guess there's a chance that you might get more out of it if you have seen them, as we sort of discuss some of the contents in the plot. But honestly, they're extremely not good, so don't waste your time watching them. Just enjoy us taking them apart. Hello. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> Welcome to episode 69. Nice. Nice. This is the nicest episode that we've ever done. It is a thoroughly nice episode, isn't it? Yeah, although actually, given the films that we've chosen to discuss, that's not true in any way, really, is it? No, no. Um, Let's, because we've got quite a lot to discuss today, shall we crack on immediately? Yes, let let us crack right on. So yeah, this week's this week's subject is the Fifty Shades trilogy, three films, three whole films. Yeah, it's um, it's horrendous. Why did we do this? <laughs> I don't know because we we care about entertaining people, we care about criticism, and we care about the medium of film. And we we want to provide a service to people, basically. So just before you came on the call, I was I just recorded the little intro that I always do, and it, this this week's intro is a little bit different to most of the other intros, where I say, "Don't bother watching it; just listen to us tearing it apart." <laughs> actually, no, I said I said taking it apart, which is actually what Tommy Wiseau originally said before they told him to change it to tearing me apart, Lisa. They're taking me apart, Lisa. You're taking me apart, Lisa. But that's um, I wanted to mention true. um Tommy Wiseau because well no we don't we won't jump straight in at the third film, but I should bring up that I got as a BBC film critic, I can't even remember his name, but he said that um the third Fifty Shades film was had all the the vapidity of a Kardashian drama overseen by Tommy Wiseau, which is kind of true. <laughs> which is incredibly true, yeah. yeah. Like, um, The Room is famously, not to compare everything to The Room, but The Room is famously a very bad film, but it is genuinely a more competent film than any of these three films. Would you say that's fair? I would say that's entirely fair. Um, and I'd say that there's a lot of similarities between The Room and every single one of the Fifty Shades movies. Um, but The Room has... Well, obviously, it's much more entertaining, for one thing. Um, but then beyond even that, it just feels more genuine. Um, yeah. So so shall we, shall we move on to film number one? Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Greys of Shade. <laughs> I, um, it's been almost two weeks, or over, over a week and a half since I watched them, so I've already actually forgotten a lot of what happened. <laughs> I will have to refer back to my notes. But um, yeah, so this film came out, let's see, when did the first one come out? 2015, and then they've got 2015, 2017, 2018, so they've managed to sort of, to really kind of shit them out, haven't they? Yes, they have. It's been, get them out the door quickly, 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 
before people realize that this was a terrible fad yeah and that's what but it comes they down are... to doesn't it absolutely yeah they're based on a trilogy of books and as a phenomenon i do find it fascinating because see i i started working in publishing in january of 2012 and this was the year that the year of the 50 shades phenomenon now it was it was published by random house who are the big rivals of the company that i work for so we were inclined to be a little bit sniffy about it but every week i would get the bestseller lists and for like the whole of the first couple of years I was working in publishing, every single week, number one, Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades Darker or Fifty Shades Freed or whatever it was. And I think in total now, they've sold over 100 million copies, which is like unheard of for anything unless you're J.K. Rowling, Stephen King or, um, you know, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, those books, unless you're, a f- those are like, you have to be a phenomenon to sell those kind of numbers. So you know it's it's interesting to consider from that and the film's why it is such a phenomenon but the yeah that kind of cultural context of it coming from books is very very important and i i'll admit i tried to read a couple of pages of it and it was bloody awful i think it was in first person present tense which i can just never get on with but yeah the writing was just so unbelievably bad and i just couldn't i couldn't get on with it at all but i really did try to engage with it as a phenomenon i tried to understand it but i think as films they're based on bad source material yeah, the books are crap. Um, I, I know that it's a phenomenon and everything like that, but the Fifty Shades books are for people who are too scared to read actual porn. <laughs> and, that, and that's all it is. It's, oh, it's a chance to read something vaguely raunchy. It's like, just read real porn. Read read yeah. those terrible... Um, well, this is a terrible fan fiction ebook. That's what it is. Yeah. That, that's like one its of origin. Those... But there are no end of those. If you go onto Amazon and get get your Kindle out, go onto Amazon, go into like the, the erotica section. There's loads of amazing like cowboy daddy books or whatever. Yeah, or, or like go, go go ignore the unbelievably boring and abusive um, Christian Grey, and instead go for I'm in love with a dragon firefighter or whatever <laughs> else comes up in those. Yeah. There's so much more interesting stuff and they're probably all better written because like I tried reading 50 shades of gray because I don't think it's fair to criticize a work until you've actually read it. Um yeah. or until you've actually watched it or what have you. Um and it's like one of well possibly the worst thing I've ever read in my life. It is <laughs> genuinely appalling. How far did you get? Um well I sort of picked it up and read snippets here and there. Okay. And like like so i started reading it's like this is trash let's flick through and see if there's anything else you know good in here or not as bad and just every page is is a a mountain of shit (laughs) um really really awful terrible 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 stuff and i'd feel bad about saying that if it wasn't so morally vapid as well um yeah like morally there is a lot wrong with this it's bad we can can delve into which we can get into because Mm. it's a faithful adaptation really isn't it 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 seems like it yeah. even down to the quality it's a faithful adaptation yeah um so so 50 shades of gray um film number 1 film number 1 anna also, Steele. going it going into this i have to feel i have to say that i think i am unfair to dakota johnson but i don't like her i've seen her in a couple <laughs> of other, a couple of other films where i thought she was quite wooden and i I I think it, it's not a nice term, but she has resting bitch face. <laughs> you know, I, I find her face just very kind of, you know, she constantly looks like she's smelling a fart, doesn't she? And it's not, 
<laughs> it just doesn't make for someone who you want to see as a kind of empathetic heroine, does it? It made me just think, oh, well, I don't care about you. I don't really like you. I don't see what the point of you is. Whereas Jamie Dornan, I think, is quite a handsome man. If anything, I was almost more on his side, even though he's the abuser. Yeah, she's not great in these movies. I'm very excited to see her in the Suspiria remake that's coming out this year because that looks phenomenal. And I'm what thinking is this going to be Suspiria. Suspiria is one of the best horror movies of all time. Um, one of the most interesting directed. It's got this amazing score. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 uh, it's awesome, and um, and is a cult classic that's sort of transcended and become sort of seen as one of the best movies ever made. Um, and yeah, it's getting a remake, and the remake actually looks really good, and it's got Tilda Swinton. Um, and and Mia Goth and all sorts of other people in it, but the lead is played by Dakota Johnson, and I'm thinking okay. they did not need to cast her in this. This movie was going to be interesting regardless. This isn't a cynical casting choice, so I've got hopes that she's going to put in a very good performance in that. Yeah, and I just remembered that we have discussed Twenty One Jump Street on this program, and in that she was good yeah, as the she kind was, of she very small part, but the sort of right rival cop infiltrating a high school so in that she was okay but yeah in this i couldn't stand her like she was really hard to watch yeah and and you know how i feel about wet blanket characters um it's one of my least favorite things in movies and and anna Steele does not live up to her name at all like you think of someone called anna Steele, and you think it's going to be someone cool who like rides in like on like a cool bmx on a, smoking a, a cigar made of knives <laughs> yeah and it's like what up motherfuckers i'm here to kick <laughs> ass and take names um yeah but she is um as my as my significant other described uh rather aptly she is wet milk <laughs> which <laughs> i think is the perfect definition of anna Steele's character that is brilliant Mate, um yeah if you ever if you ever had dry milk dry, dry, <laughs> mi- dry milk. milk is the shit <laughs> but, but obviously you know all milk is wet apart from powdered yeah. milk but the phrase she's, wet she's milk, a milk toast yes the phrase wet milk perfectly describes the character of anna Steele. she is pathetic she is boring um she is unbelievably weak um and does all of that clumsy crap that you see in bad rom-coms when someone like fancies somebody and that's yeah. kind of her default character. Um, and it makes her unbelievably dislikable. She's one of the most passive characters ever committed to film. And it's really interesting because over the course of the whole trilogy, it's basically the same scene repeated over and over and over again until you just want to jump in the river. But it's it's basically he, he likes her... Um, and she likes him, but he's into some kinky stuff. He wants her to be submissive. He wants to do some violent, abusive shit to her, and she's not really into it. There's a little bit of a struggle, and eventually she goes along with it. That's it. That's yeah. literally it. It's literally three whole films, over six hours in total, of just this kind of ongoing power struggle between them, in which she eventually agrees to be his submissive at the very end. Spoiler alert. Um so it's like basically eventually she gives in to the power and abuse of of terrible of a terrible man. It's yeah, it's awful. Yeah, and and 
sort of the the number one point I took away because because that is that is the entire arc of the first movie and like in the second and third films there's more of an arc there and I'd say that like pretty much by the beginning or like halfway through at least the third movie she's sort of into being the submissive but then it's the psychological aspect of it which is not a part of the snm scene and not a part of that kind of culture um and i can see why why the snm culture despises this movie so much and was so protective over their culture and so sort of like determined to educate people off the back of the popularity of 50 shades because what happens in 50 shades is not like sadism um it is not it, it is not sexual kink the the um the dominance that happens in these movies um is uh psychological dominance it is abuse dominance um as you'd see in any other kind of abusive relationship really yeah Um, because it's not really consensual you get the sense she's kind of going along with it and you know in you know it's the more and more that these kind of portrayals of sex uh addressed in in culture the more and more people realize that actually just going along with it probably isn't consent you know that's that's that that line not that i'm the one who says who's there to say what is and isn't consent but it, in this the the representation of it on this film most of the time it doesn't feel like she's consenting to him and as such it makes it really uncomfortable to watch yeah the, the power struggle of the first movie is quite horrible to see because it pretty much kicks off with two people in different statuses. Um, his interest in her is purely of a sexual nature. Um, and he immediately takes up a dominant social position with her. So, like, pretty quickly on, she gets drunk and he goes to protect her and look after her. But at that same point, he's bought her clothes and is kind of starting to control her entire life. Um, and and S&M on the sexual side is all about trust and it's all about having trust in the other person. And that's something that's never addressed in these films whatsoever. In these films, it's all about psychological dominance and social dominance over the other person, um, yeah. which is really unbelievably creepy. It, it, it is creepy. He's creepy. He's a 27-year-old slimy-ass CEO who never does any work of some kind of huge corporation that you're never really clear what it does because it's just a generic corporation it doesn't matter what it does or the kind of intimate details of his life don't even matter because all he's there to do is to be rich and powerful and those kind of things just symbolize wealth and power and actually really when you get down to all the sex stuff is terrible and awful and it romanticizes abuse and all of that is really problematic but it's not even about sex even though it's three books, three films worth of stuff that features a lot of violent sex, it's actually just about power and wealth. And it's just a six plus hour suckle at the teat of neoliberal capitalism. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason that she kind of sticks with him really is that he's super rich. And and that's like the appeal, particularly in movies one and two. The appeal is this guy's really rich. And oh, look, he's got me on his boat. And oh, look, he's bought me a car. And oh, look, he's bought me some fancy stuff. Um, And that that's weird. And and I can kind of understand the 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 titillation of it, because if people do have those sort of unconscious leanings towards maybe being dominated in the bedroom, 
um, they could see that as a thrill of being dominated psychologically, and and they can separate out the reality of this is what it is, um, like you know this is this is this is um, making me feel like I want to have sex. This is turning me on, um, and what's part of that is is the sort of role play of this rich dominant um like millionaire billionaire um but when it comes to actually telling a story that's where the problems come in yeah um and it and it is unbelievably creepy but i like the other thing is that like the sex is pretty fucking tame yeah when it when it comes to the kinky i was expecting some really weird kinky shit to happen in these movies i'm not gonna lie and i, I wanted it was... to see some fruit go up there that's <laughs> <laughs> at least um i don't want to get i don't want to get too lewd on this podcast i mean you've you've already now lowered the bar significantly with that comment but i, I was lowered ex- the banana <laughs> i was i was expecting some really sort of like because the these books gained notoriety based around the sex scenes um yeah. but really it's all quite tame it's like handcuffs are being tied up um like in the first there's... one it's hilarious he's got the little like i think it's the first time they really do anything that might be construed as like um bdsm he's got like his is it like a little riding crop thing i don't even know what it is yeah it's, it's a, a little, little riding crop and it's got a little leather thing on the end and he's supposed to be like whipping her but he's just tapping her it's just a little tap. Like, you know commit to the whipping if we're going to include the whipping you know but yeah he's literally just tapping her and she's reacting to it like she's been punched <laughs> well well the thing that i found really funny across all of these movies is that she literally gets turned on by a slight human touch like a gust yep. of breeze and she'll be moaning um and it and it's really funny um it, it's it's yeah it's really bizarre and i can understand that it would work better in a book where you can separate out like time and things like that and you can really delve into the emotion behind sex and things like that and but then when it gets transferred onto screen it really really doesn't work um and and yeah, so he only gets a bit grumpy at the end of the first movie where he he gives her a bit of a proper whipping and then that's too much for her and she leaves. And and so at the end of the first film I was left thinking like was that it? It yeah. it, it felt like a really bad, like Hallmark Channel meets softcore porn film. But with of, this mega budget behind it. All of them ended really abruptly as well, did you not think? Yeah, yeah, they all ended <laughs> They really weird just like oh that's the end there'll be a slight montage that's the end um yeah. they really strange pacing all the way through but do, do you know what i mean they felt like tv movies yeah but with a, a massive budget behind them yeah like huge huge budget most of which they probably spent on loads of really obscene wealth performative bollocks you know what i mean it's like that guy who compared it to the Kardashians was just so right because that's really what it's all about. It's about performative wealth, and they probably spent most of the budget on fucking helicopters. But, <laughs> yeah. but by the by the third film, they've clearly run out of the budget for any music because about fifteen minutes of the third film is a montage looking back over their relationship. Most of it focusing on that one helicopter flying scene with the same Ellie Goulding song from the first film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they hired danny elfman to do the, the score for these films and and it i it, i mean there's a lot of phoning it in of very successful people in cinema in these yeah. movies <laughs> let's just leave it at that and yeah so a lot of the you actual, wouldn't know it was danny elfman no would you? no it, it 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 was just a bunch it was a collection of songs and i don't really remember any of the sort of background music 
Yeah. At all. A lot of it was just that kind of sle- sleazy generic R&B, you know, where you can, you can hear that the words are about sex, but you can't really make them out until it had to be romantic. And then any of the kind of overly weepy, oh, I'm having such a lovely time. He's so romantic. They just got Ellie Goulding. Yeah. Oh, and Ellie I like Goulding. Ellie Goulding. I think that song's all right, but like, it's, yeah. It's fine. It's not great. Yeah. It's not it's not bad. No, it's it's not bad. But but the score here is not as good as the room. So score one point to the room, no points to fifty shades of grey. Maybe we should keep a tally going to see yeah. <laughs> to see who wins. <laughs> but but obviously the room has like I will stand in the way of a bullet. Yeah. You are my rose. All That's of these all of these memorable songs for these cheesy sex scenes. But I felt like a lot of the sex scenes had that the room esque quality to them as well. Absolutely. Um, a lot of weird thrusting at odd angles. Um, I don't know if like the cinematographer of this movie has ever actually had sex, but that's not <laughs> how it goes. I'm gonna call it. Jamie Dornan has also never had sex. <laughs> He's actually an android. <laughs> Jamie Dornan's never had sex, pass it on. <laughs> Purple monkey <He's> dishwasher. <laughs> um he's he's actually a robot down there there's just a usb port um and that explains why he's able to thrust at such strange angles and able to thrust without taking his trousers down properly yeah um because it's all about because it's going to be in mainstream cinema it's all how much can we show without showing an erect penis because you can't show an erect penis in mainstream cinema and they got pretty close to showing a flaccid penis yeah, they nearly yeah. got there, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's what—that's more of what I was expecting." That's there's that's a bit good. of like side peen. At one side point, peen, there? yeah, there is. Yeah. There's a little bit of side peen. That's that's impressive. I'm down with yeah. that. Um, but yeah, overall, and and what I found weird overall is he's very rarely nude. Yeah, he's he's wearing clothes most of the time, and again, I don't know whether that's part of the power fantasy behind the movie that he is this rich, successful CEO. And so part of what makes him attractive to people is his that he's well-dressed. And maybe by stripping away that and literally stripping him, it takes away some of the allure. I, I, I wonder if maybe that's sort of like the reasoning behind it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about she, she's the one who needs to be naked. Although there are lots of bits where she's in kind of her pants and in sort of weird dresses and stuff. And you're like, is this supposed to be sexy? Because it just feels like he's weirdly aggressively undressing her. Like, just get to the whipping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that That's what I say every day. Just get to the whipping. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's weird. And, and, and you're right about it having that sort of, it's it's performative of um d- the desire to be rich and the eroticism of being rich um yeah. more so than the eroticism of bdsm and and the allure of a kink lifestyle absolutely and that's why it stinks to me yeah like if if he was not this kind of rich wealthy ceo there's no way she would allow him to act that way to her. There's no way that any of her friends would allow it or her family or whatever, but everyone around her is cool with it because he's rich. And yeah, that just kind of says so much about this book. It's it's kind of trying to be aspirational, isn't it? It's like an aspirational fantasy because everyone supposedly should want to be wealthy and powerful, but in a kind of aggressive way. And it's kind of bowing down to the idea of power as an aggressive thing. But yeah, like I'd like to see them try and make it with him not being a rich guy, or or not, I, I, or it, it. I can understand the the sort of aspirational aspect of, 
you know, if you are into the BDSM scene um, and you're into S&M, it might be quite nice to think, you know what, maybe there's rich and successful people that are also into this. But where it falls down is equating his success and equating the sex with aggression outside of consensual sexual acts. Um, Because within the sex scenes, consent is not really thought about but where the real issue lies is outside of the sex scenes the the consent issue there is what causes the most concern for me i think in terms of their relationship yeah definitely Um, it's very dodgy it's on it's on very thin ice um and yeah i don't like it it makes me feel very uncomfortable yeah it made my skin crawl and then yeah so it's about half of the time you're watching them engaging this power struggle with him being a kind of (laughs) aggressive douchebag but you're supposed to be enjoying his wealth and then the rest of it is just yeah him kind of dicking around on yachts and stuff so you're just like okay that's incredibly boring yeah i mean they at least could have had him calling someone a pedophile for no reason or something like that <laughs> yeah. um yeah exactly he's not he's not a realistic rich guy because you know that anyone who is that powerful that would be on twitter just shit posting all the time yeah he'd be he'd be chucking up instagram posts of the red room all the time um yeah but yeah so so i was thinking about it when i was watching it it's like there was, there's ways it could have worked if it had been well written and even with slight tweaks so even if they'd had you know if 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 she'd interviewed him and then one of them had made a slight quip about something snme and it became apparent that both of them were into it and then they'd kind of explored it that way. That would have been quite a nice relationship. But instead, you've got this whole thing where, like, she's never had sex with anyone before. Um, and you never really get a sense. But, well, yeah, not, not, in, not in the first movie. You get no sense that she's interested in that kind of sex. And and, and as the movie pro- progress, the, the sexual scenes are much more consenting. And you can see that they're both into it much more. But in that first movie, it really doesn't feel like that whatsoever. Um, yeah, it really feels like he's pushing her into it. Particularly and she's like when you've a, got a virgin. the virgin. Particularly when you've got the really, really creepy contract signing scene. Yeah, um, where he's got this contract that he makes his submissives sign. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's really horrible. Yeah, what oh, have you sexy. done? That's what have you done that's forced you to to have a have a contract for each of your sexual partners? You know, it really turns me on, man. Paperwork. I mean, yeah, I'm all over that. Why do you think I work in an office all day? Yeah. Although that that scene is weirdly kind of trying to eroticize office work in a way that I think is trying to appeal to its the audience of these books and films, which is people who work in offices and daydream about having sex in offices and trying to make paperwork sexy because the only thing that they have in their life is paperwork and a bit of this kind of escapism so again i've that felt weirdly capitalist to me it was like trying to eroticize paperwork and transactional stuff it was really weird you know what i love business transactions yeah you like to do a business i like to do a business because um, you're an adult man. Because I'm an adult man, Vincent Adultman. Um, yeah, it, it's I, 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 and yeah, again, it's a kind of escapism, and again, it's a kind of you know, for people who read who read the Fifty Shades books, generally they they wanted this little bit of titillation and escape, and I can understand them trying to tie even those little scenes into like, hey, yeah, look, it's all about paperwork, and they're making sexual puns and little nods and winks about having sex in on the desk and stuff like that. You know, that's fine. You know, I didn't really mind that too much. But but where it really falls down for me is the way that it treats p- 
people as human beings um and and even though the whole thing's a metaphor it falls down if your characters are treating each other like dirt um and and that's where the abuse comes in and it is genuinely an abusive relationship yeah but no, nobody in this film is treated like a human being even even christian gray is not treated as a human he's he's the android of wealth isn't he yeah he is he is the 50 dollar bill brought to yeah. life he's programmed only to be this kind of violent tropey guy when actually anyone who had the life that he had supposedly you find out more later on in his tedious backstory about how he was in and out of foster homes in detroit and whatever and all this stuff that's supposed to explain his abusive behavior but it's just kind of making lame excuses and trying to add emotional depth you know four or five hours too late but yeah, all of that stuff and the life that he's led could actually be incredibly interesting as a character. But it's so one-dimensional that every time you find out more about him, it just makes you think, well, he's a dick then. Speaking of his tragic backstory, shall we move on to Fifty Shades Darker? Yeah, sure. I um, can't remember. Let's see. Well, I, I've got quite a few notes for all of them, but yeah, fine. I just want to highlight that in the first one I wrote down, he is a shit Colin Firth, and I don't even like Colin Firth that much. <laughs> See, I wrote, he's a creep, she's rubbish. That was my note. <laughs> was that your um, only note? Also, well, no, I had a few notes. Most of them I've, 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 I've covered already. The other one was, there is no plot, there are no characters. Um, which, again, literally nothing happened here, not even yeah. that much sex. Yeah. I know I wrote down the sexiest thing you can say in the neoliberal era we live in is fuck the paperwork, which he says. Yes. Um, right. As on, in he actually wants to fuck the paperwork. He, he's, he's basically Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Corbyn definitely fucks paperwork. <laughs> he can fuck off. Um, <laughs> uh, so Fifty Shades Darker. First note I left was, ha, 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 does he have a tragic backstory? And it turns out, yes, he does have a tragic backstory. His yeah. his his dad left, his mum died, is that right? And he was taken in by a family of rich people who allowed him to then go and be successful. Yeah, he was, he was a foster kid and he doesn't even remember. But of course, the childhood trauma is there. The childhood trauma is the thing that explains everything. Gotta have the childhood trauma. Am I right? Yes, exactly. And so they, they, you know, they really big up all of the terrible childhood that he had in this movie. But only so far as that they can use it as a bit of a dramatic moment and then they discard it. And this is the first instance of the Fifty Shades movies setting up a challenge and immediately discarding it like the fan fiction that it is. Yeah. Um, where every single time there's a struggle from here on out, it will be resolved very, very quickly. Yeah. And then they'll move on to the next one. So again, it's reminiscent of The Room, where The Room will set up this slight challenge and then beat it and then discard it. And it's never yeah. mentioned again. <laughs> like how Lisa's mother has cancer. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Or now it's time to play football in yeah in tuxedos in an alleyway. Like you wouldn't have been surprised if that showed up in Fifty Shades. No, Darker. no, no. I, I was fully expecting it to happen. Um, but but Fifty Shades Darker does address one thing in that in the first movie I was thinking, oh, is is like this guy's a really creepy motherfucker. Like why does she not just meet some other random guy? Like the guy at the hardware store that she works with. He seems like he a seemed, normal seemed person yeah um, he was he was pretty ripped as well if i recall rightly he was ripped as well yeah. yeah um but it turns out 50 shades darker answers this by making us realize that every single human being 
in every single man in the Fifty Shades universe is a super creepy motherfucker. So her friend, yeah, um, who is the photographer, um, Jose, part yeah. of yes, Jose, part of his exhibition is um, is just photos of her, which he didn't ask if he could submit as part of his exhibition. Yeah. So it's she funny up. how like the only basically the only non-white character in the whole film is someone who's made out to be like a, this this complete creep when really like the charismatic rich white guy is the one who's doing the real damage yes but but you know let's let's admit it jose's a creep as well the, the all of the movies have zero idea what consent is <laughs> um and um and yes yeah, so so he's got this exhibition and like half of the photos are just photos of Anna Steele which is very weird um and it's sort of made out that he totally fancies her and again it's just like oh this is creepy you know let's, yeah let's try and ignore that but then then it doubles down on the creep factor because Christian Grey turns up at the end of 50 shades she splits up with him and he's very sad about it um and then sort of like there's radio silence between them until Christian Grey turns up at this exhibition and buys all of the portraits of her yeah um if if anybody else turned up at an exhibition and bought a load of photos of an ex-girlfriend to like of the size to be displayed on walls it would be like immediate restraining order territory yeah for sure like it's a super creepy thing i genuinely forgot that they broke up at the end of the first film did that happen it actually ends with them broken up yeah she she gets into the elevator and says goodbye mr gray and then that's it and oh, it's all okay. very sad and she's like no i'm i can't be with you you spanked me too hard yeah um you 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 got turned on by the pain you inflicted on me it's like well yes <laughs> what were you expecting to happen <laughs> i didn't make proper notes but i did write down see his cheeky pubes <laughs> <laughs> and i wrote down finally he is doing a business Finally, so, he is doing a business. There must have been some scene in the two hours and 16 minutes running time of the first film where he sat down at his laptop and decided to actually do some fucking work. <laughs> um, so so um, Fifty Shades Darker, it's then all about him trying to like be a good person to her and, and uh, become a good man. Yeah, and, and try and accommodate his lifestyle. Well, it's not even accommodating his lifestyle and his kink, because initially he's trying to avoid, like, fulfilling what he wants sexually, as if that's the real issue with their relationship. Um, whereas the real issue is, of course, the way that he's treated her emotionally, um, and and sort of the trauma that he's caused that way is what caused them to split up really because although he was over, overly aggressive at the end of the film um you know the 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 danger there in that relationship is much more than that um, yeah. but 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 for all of your thought of you know oh maybe he's going to redeem himself he commits one of the biggest asshole sins you can ever have which is being rude to a waiter yeah and for me being rude to a waiter is a much bigger warning sign of being an asshole than like being into a bit of spanking in the bedroom it's the um, best way to yeah. judge someone's character. If yeah. if at well, any any point you're with someone and they don't act like a person is human because there's a dynamic of certain power involved, you 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 are sure that that person is a complete dick and you should avoid them. Yeah, if they're rude to someone working in a shop or if they're rude to a waiter or something yeah. like that. And again, not to get, get all Michelle Foucault on you, but it's all about power. Those kind yes. of people, people who like don't people who don't treat kind of service staff well 
are people who are getting off on that tiny little bit of power because they don't have power over anything else in their lives. Not even the paperwork. But you'll even see people who have a lot of power who treat people badly as well. Like Christian Grey is is Mr. Billionaire of the Universe. Yeah. Um, he's made all his money selling bad sex toys that by age 27. That's what I choose to believe Grey Industries does, by the way, or whatever his company's called. Yeah, absolutely. It's called Grey um, Industries. It, do, Wayne, Wayne it does. It makes, it makes money, money wealth. It does shorts. He started off selling kinky S&M shorts um, and then expanded into like future tech, like um, like Bitcoin, but for S&M. Yeah, yeah. Dickcoin. Dickcoin. <laughs> um well like you know graphene dildos and stuff yeah exactly 3d printed dildos electric cars but also sex dungeons yeah a butt plug that that you can charge in your tesla you know (laughs) also in the in the first film she she claims not to know what a butt plug is i mean come on everyone knows what a fucking butt plug is (laughs) Like, also, even if you don't know, you can probably guess by like, the name. The clue is in the name, isn't it? Yeah. What's um, a butt plug? Oh no, you you wear it like a hat. <laughs> oh dear. I um, I wrote down for Fifty Shades Darker. At least it does start in media race, which is true. So it kind of goes straight in with an action scene and doesn't try to set anything up. Because it absolutely and utterly knows that nobody is going to watch this without having seen the first one. So at least yeah. it dispenses with any kind of exposition. But it still manages to be over two hours long. So that's not much of a compliment. Yeah, we didn't have to see the scene where Anna Steele's uncle Ben died and he told her with great power comes great butt plugs <laughs> um, or anything like that. Um, you know, and we're all getting very tired of those kind of scenes. So it does just kind of, yeah, it kicks off and you're like, okay, yeah, these are the same people. It's fine. Um, but we see, we see once again that you know Christian Grey, he's a wrongun, but oh my god, every other man is even more of a wrongun. So her exactly. boss, who yeah. acts like a nineteen fifties gumshoe at all times, um, goes a bit Louis C.K. on her, and um, and basically says, "I don't like your boyfriend. I want to try and rape you in your office." Well, that that's not my favourite Avril Lavigne song. <laughs> um, and it's it's really uncomfortable to watch. And you can kind of see what they're doing. They're trying to set up that even though Christian Grey is abusive, um, he is not as abusive as these other people. And so, yeah. ergo, he is the good guy. He's fine because he drives the Tesla and buys her oysters and whatever the fuck shit. Even though, um, you know, clearly her boss is like a senior publisher. Like, he's, he's got money, you know. He does cool stuff. But no, of course, he's he's a bad a bad rape stalker. And like, and, and what they're trying to do is, is, what they're trying to do is they're trying to compare. She was upset with the kinky violent sex, but in reality, like, real world violence is much worse. But it's kind of ignoring the fact that he is also violent and abusive yeah. in more subtle ways. So although Christian Grey is, you know, when it comes down to it, he is one of the nicer male characters in this series of films, but he's still a bad human being. Yeah, it's a woman caught between two horrible creeps, which I guess is realistic because most men are trash. <laughs> yeah, not most men aren't as trash as Christian Grey and 50s gumshoe McGee. <laughs> Jack, um, Jack Hyde. 
That's not his name. His name That's... is Fifty Gumshoe McGee. <laughs> Gumshoe McGee. No, I'm happy to Gumshoe call him that because I know someone called Jack Hyde and he's really nice. <laughs> I feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, again, um, the movie shows up the weird um, power dynamic of money because Christian Grey then turns around and is like, yeah, I'm going to buy out your company. Um, yeah. And like that, and that's where the problems come from, really. And like this all happens before the attempted rape scene, where um, where he's sort of like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to buy your company. I've wanted to get into publishing for some time." It's like, "Oh, this is really, it's really creepy." And the portrayal of the publishing industry is bullshit as well. Like she she takes his job. I can't remember whether it's in this film or the third one, but like when he gets like arrested and done in for his crimes, she just gets to become the senior publisher when she's worked there for literally two weeks. That yes, does yeah. not happen. And also basically she goes to one meeting and says, you should get this YouTube person to do a book because that's what Millennium's like. And then they do it and they're all like, well done. Nobody's ever had that idea before. <laughs> like if that happens in the book, then the people who edited that book need to seriously have a word with themselves. Well, I think the issue was really that it kicked off being an ebook, didn't it? Um, and I think people were just like, eh, it's fine. And then after that, it then got the, the physical release and everything like that. Yeah. Although I don't um, know if the sequels were ebooks before. Oh, that's they? true. Maybe they were released. Maybe they were released paper at the same time. But hey, I mean, you know, if you're going to. I think anyone who read the first book in the series probably realised, you know what, we don't really need to edit this. People are going to buy it anyway. This is this is very true. Yeah, very, very true. And there gets to a point where if your author's making enough amount of money, they can dictate anything to you, which is yes. which is fair enough, you know, because you've got to make the money too to stay afloat. But yeah, the, the portrayal of the publishing industry is really dumb and really offensive. Yes. and And which movie was it where they... Where there's that notorious Benoit Ball scene. Is that this movie? Benoit Ball. Benoit Balls? They're the little metal balls you insert into orifices for sexual Oh, I thought that was the name of, like, Ed Balls' French cousin. <laughs> Benoit Balls. <laughs> Maybe he is. He's a famous author. Um, I, was, well, I was just looking at um, some extracts from Fifty Shades of Grey um, on the dailybeast.com. A speed read of 14 of the naughtiest bits and there's a bit when she mentions the silver balls going up her but I don't remember that being in the film. Yeah, that was in the movie and and oh, that was okay. one of the few scenes where I was like, oh wow, they are actually showing something quite graphic here. I um, must have been reaching for my coke at that point. <laughs> and it was quite, it's quite a horrible scene. Yeah. Um, and again, not very realistic for reasons I won't go into on this podcast because we're better than that. But um, again, it kind of showed that there's not real, not that real understanding of the use of sex toys or anything like that, or the use of bondage play and things. They, the entire thing is performative. The entire thing is fake. It is a paper mache look at BDSM lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's um, not. It doesn't explore how actually it's about two people consenting to enjoy the shared experience of pain together. It's it's just part of an overarching boring plot of endless endlessly repeating the same scene of power struggle and it's subservient to that. It's a plot device. It's a very cheap and terrible plot device. Yeah. It got it got people in to read it because it was like, oh, it's got kinky sex. Um but you know, I've ne- nowhere in these movies does Christian Grey dress up like a scary clown 
um, and try and terrify her during sex. And for that reason, I don't consider this to be a true kinky movie. Yeah, not good enough. Um, not he, out never of dresses, he never dresses up like a dinosaur. Um, no, not out of 20, no pterodactyl action. No pterodactyl sex. Um, yeah, zero interest in this movie. Yeah. Whatsoever. Um, but one thing Rubbish. I did notice was that he's even less likely to get undressed in this film than he is in the first one. Oh, really? Did you? Were and you it, keeping like a tally? I was. I mean, you know, he's a yeah. handsome man. What's his? Uh, yeah. What's his batting average? What's his on-base percentage? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say there's a fifty percent reduction in shirtlessness in this movie. So much so that I thought, like, did he get a tattoo of like fucking the Teletubbies in between <laughs> movies or something <laughs> that he just couldn't show off? Yeah. Or a tattoo of his own face. Well, apparently <laughs> neither of them particularly enjoyed appearing in the films, so it wouldn't have put, I wouldn't have put it past him to do something like that to try and get out of it. Get a tattoo of Dakota Johnson's face on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> Just to break the tension in the scenes. Um Yeah, it's it's I mean, I can understand that they didn't like them because I mean having doing sex scenes in movies must be quite awkward anyway. Doubly yeah. so when it's in something that's obviously bad like this. Um, so the and and the one thing that really irritated me about the the second movie, you said to me, Paddy, that um, you thought that the second movie was the best of the three, and I don't think I agree. I think I enjoyed the third one the most because it was the most stupid. It was um, really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, no, but, I think you're. I think you're right. I think the third one is the is the best. Now thinking back on it. Now that I'm going over my notes and realizing actually how much awful stuff was in the second one, the third one was really like quite terribly stupid. But more, yeah. you were able to laugh at it a bit more because the first one and the second one are so po-faced. Whereas by the third one, they've almost given up. They're like, "Yep, here's some stalkery shit. Here's some thrillery shit. Here's a here's a car chase or whatever." You know, and <laughs> yeah, now here's a, here's a half-hour montage of looking back on their relationship while Ellie Goulding sings. Done. <laughs> yeah and, and and that's why the, i think the third one's best but the, there were some elements in here which were interesting um kim basinger's in this movie and yeah. i'm like kim kim what are you doing you're great what are you doing in this film a lot you're of the recognizable cast members Marsha gay harden as well like she's great and does not deserve does not need to stoop to this no no um and and so there is lots of sort of like what are you doing in this film um but but again, there's that interesting dynamic of like Kim Basinger's character taught him that kind of sexuality in the first place, but yeah. in a kind of role reversal. And it's like, oh, okay, that could be quite interesting to to explore. No, 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 it's fine. We won't explore that at all. Yeah, that that that's like when you find that out that like he used to be the submissive to her. She's like the Mrs. Robinson figure. Like, yeah, why not go down that road? Really explore that some. But nope. It's just another very, very cheap plot device to make out that he to try and make you feel sympathetic to his arrogance and dominance more. Yeah, and and like, there's nothing wrong with someone being either the dominant or the submissive in sex. No, and so like the fact that it tries to make that into kind of part of a tragic backstory is like that's really weird because like yeah. you're adding morality to something where it didn't need that morality to be. And again, added. that's that's a huge misrepresentation of the BDSM community and how BDSM works, right? Yes, exactly. It's it's really weird and really incorrect and really dumb. Do you know what's more weird than any of that though? In the second film, 
they have they go to like a masked ball and i think it's like at his house or something his and like his parents are there and it's weird anyway i think they go up to like his childhood bedroom or a room that's like his bedroom and there's a poster on the wall for the chronicles of riddick yes yeah did you notice that i did notice that yeah that is really odd like i hadn't thought about the chronicles of riddick for a very long time (laughs) but there it was see i really love the first pitch black movie that's a really fun little sci-fi horror film and i kind of love that rather than making another sci-fi horror movie they went full-on weird gothic space opera that nobody was ever going to like and i'm like fair play guys you really went down a weird route with that um and and yeah so you know the fact that you notice something like that and took interest of it just shows how boring the rest of the movie it is rest of the movie is. unbelievably boring um, and for a film that has you know a lot of kinky stuff in it and a lot of okay actors and some moments of intrigue like there yeah, that relationship and that role reversal and whatever it's so boring it's some of the most boring stuff i've ever seen on on screen yeah it's it's really dull and 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 i'd say that the second movie did have the most potential in terms of exploring proper areas because it also has the whole former submissive who's gone mad yeah element but again, again she's that... just there to be a cheap plot device oh yes. she's in jeopardy ah they might as well have called her jeopardy <laughs> and and it's really it's really frustrating because you you did have that element there of this is the former submissive and clearly christian gray left a permanent mark on her life and that his relationship with her left a permanent mark permanent negative mark on her life um, is this where Anna's going to end up? Is Christian Grey just using these women? Um, and they could have explored that, but instead it was just, oh yeah. no, she, yeah, she got too intense and is a bit mental. So when I left her, she, you know, we thought we left her in good care, but she clearly wasn't. It's like, okay, yeah, we just absolve him of all of the blame for the abuse that he puts people through yeah. and make a sort of weird, horrible mark about mental health as well at the same time. Yeah, she's like um, the mad woman in the attic, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. And it's really frustrating. And again, it's it's sort of like, okay, here's an element of danger. Okay, now it's sorted. She's gone to go live with her mother again. It's like, okay, fine. Fine, <laughs> just completely sure, ignore not? any kind of ramifications about what's happened. Also, I've never been to a masked ball, but I'm pretty sure that masked balls are shit. I've been to one masked ball at university where it was the theme for one of the end of year balls, and it was quite good fun. Was I there? No, I'm sure I've never been to one. But Yeah, I don't think you were, no. It just, it just yeah, it just seems like really stupid and this film did not help my prejudice against mask balls <laughs> mask balls are only good if you're going to do some kind of evil cult stuff at the end of it yeah like you're having kinky to... sex in the red room but again it doesn't even end with that does it no and and again the, the kinky sex is not kinky enough there's nothing here to to have that kind of danger or jeopardy or anything interesting it's just mild kinky sex yeah and it's not you don't get the feeling that they're liberated or that the the sex being portrayed is something that either of them are enjoying. And that's the thing as well with BDSM. Like it's, it's a thing where both people are consenting to a thing because they enjoy it. And it's something that is considered outside of the norm to enjoy pain and sex, but they've two people have consented to it because that's the thing that they enjoy. And if they were, they'd been able to show them both enjoying it, it would have felt really liberating but actually it didn't at all and there are it's so disappointing because as we've discussed before on this podcast there are so many there are so few films that show sex on screen well you know without without being pornographic and you know the best film that we've discussed that did that was friends with benefits which is like a dumbo comedy 
Yeah, yeah. And 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 yeah, you're completely right that they don't really show the enjoyment factor of it whatsoever. Um and it, it just kind of cuts away after a little bit of well, you know, there there's about five seconds of foreplay, about fifteen seconds of thrusting, fade to black, and that's kind of how it works <laughs> for every single scene. You're like, this is really weird. This is really it, it doesn't feel like anything that would turn somebody on. No. He might stroke her with a butt plug if you're lucky. Yeah. There's a lot of face stroking and a lot of like poking fingers in her mouth like he's a bad dentist. Yeah, I don't get that um, at all. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weird. Um but yeah, so the movie ends with um my favorite possibly my favorite moment of the of the of the films where he's flying off in a helicopter and then his helicopter crashes. Oh yeah. And for about 15 seconds, you think, oh, God, is he dead? And then he just walks through the door and is like, I'm fine. And he's got a little blood, a little <laughs> bit of blood on his on his head. Like, he hasn't been to the hospital. This incredibly, like, well-known celebrity billionaire has crashed his helicopter in the middle of a forest and has somehow managed to make his way all the way back to his apartment without anybody noticing yeah. or informing his family. Um, and then they're like, yeah, let's get married. And, yeah. and that's it. It's the worst proposal ever. It's really, really bad. I can't even remember it, but I remember that it was bad. Yeah, it's 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 really awful. And then, um, so so that that's kind of the end of Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah. Um, oh no, it ends with Dodgy Jack looking up at the sky, watching the fireworks. Yeah, he's so there. You know that he's furious. up to no good. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he lost his job. Um, yeah, because he he no longer has his job, and then he's livid, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get you, Christian Grey. Um, I'm gonna sort you out right and proper." Um, and then Fifty Shades Freed, the the third movie, uh, Fifty Shades Tokyo Drift, as it were. Um, it opens with the wedding, and it's a really fancy wedding. Of course, it's a really fancy wedding. But but, but they drop this weird line in there where they where it appears to say they've only known each other for like a couple of months. Maybe so that's did, because they happen? actually have. <laughs> so so did this all happen? Because my understanding, based on the movies, it feels like it's maybe taken place over about a year. So it's still relatively quick, but you get the sense that there's more time has passed. But did it really only happen over like three months? Is that the timeline of Fifty Shades? Well, that's the, that, yeah, that's the thing. The third film makes you feel like it was a real whirlwind, whereas the second one, you feel like a lot of time has passed between the first one and the second one, in which she's managed to get herself a job. Jose's managed to get his photography exhibition off the ground, which I imagine would have taken some time. So, you know, yeah, the, 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 the timing is very, very off. But no, I think it's supposed to be only like two to three months. Which is ridiculous. Which is which is really weird. And yeah. like you think about all of the random stuff that happens. So it's like, I'm I'm going to graduate from college. Now I'm a senior editor, at a publisher. <laughs> My boyfriend is a billionaire who crashed his helicopter, but now he's okay. Oh no! Wait, now there's a plot to kidnap his family. <laughs> it's like what? This is. It's all. It all goes very, very quickly. Yeah, and again, um, when you start listing all those elements together as part that things that are supposed to be part of a coherent film, it sounds very Wizzo-like, doesn't it? Just kind of yes, saying. Yeah. And now there'll be a guy with a gun and a drug bust and whatever to provide some action. Yes, exactly. And so, um, so the I I I have a few points on Fifty Shades Freed. I I guess the main one is wow, there's kind of a plot this time. Yeah. Um and and there is a conspiracy in Fifty Shades Freed 
the main plot is a mystery conspiracy where people are plotting against her and against him and they need to solve the mystery of what's going on and the mystery is really obvious it's that um gumshoe mcgee is uh trying to get him done yeah he's gonna do him in it's the most predictable mystery ever committed to film yeah and so he is up on um on charges of i guess it's rape attempted rape um at, at the beginning of the movie um I guess that's what's going on anyway, but they don't really explain it, do they? No, he's, they don't he's, explain he's, it at all. He's up for bail, and the bail is set at like $500,000, but someone mysteriously pays it. Who could it be? Maybe it could be the only other billionaire we've met in this movie, Kim Basinger, <laughs> <laughs> who's got a reason to try and break up this relationship. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, so he's got this... Um, but but that all kind of it kind of happens every so often but there's no real build up to this to this sort of thrill this kind of mystery of and, and this kind of attempt to take over their lives and disrupt their relationship um it kind of happens every now and again and instead of a lot of it seems to be based around dumb crap that you'd see in the Harry and Meghan movie yeah so it's so it's they get married and then you've got their trip to Aspen and and again, all of this kind of glorification of being ridiculously rich, and that's what takes up the priority of screen time. Yeah, I mean, there's about ten minutes in this film where he gets a haircut. Like, <laughs> yeah, fuck about his haircut. Like, just get on with it. Um, and 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 yeah. So so my favorite bit is where they go away, where where they just sod off to Aspen for a bit, and 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 Jose comes along, um, along with. Um, her friend who is with Christian Grey's brother. Oh, roommate Kate. I love roommate, roommate Kate. Kate. She's, she's my favourite character. She's she's great. I love her and there's not enough of her. Every time I was watching the second and third films, I'm like, come on, let's get Kate on. What's going on with her? <laughs> she goes, inexplicably goes out with Christian Grey's brother who looks like Kid Rock. Yes, Kid Rock. <laughs> um, and and um, um, at the very beginning of um, the first film, um, Anna kisses her on the forehead as like a greeting, and you're like, "Are they a couple? What's going on?" Like, it's just a friendly hello. Yeah, it's really weird. But she's like a really—you get the feeling like she kind of needed this maybe for her career or whatever. And I hope that she's gone on to bigger and better things because her performance was believable. So I'll yeah, give her she that. she's probably the best performer in the movies, I'd say. And and like she's the one character that you're kind of rooting for. Yeah um this the feisty best friend character which you know you've seen before in films but it's done it's done competently here um and and yeah so she gets proposed to by kid rock um jose is is awkwardly there celebrating with them yeah it's an even worse proposal than <laughs> yeah. christian gray who i think it's coming back to me i think just like literally proposes in the house um yeah and and um and again they put in the fake dynamic here of um potential friction where she thinks that oh maybe maybe kid rock is sleeping with the um with this the, the um sexy architect yeah oh yeah the sexy architect who's in it for like 5 minutes and there <laughs> yeah. and everyone's talking about her boobs <laughs> yeah ev- everyone's talking about her boobs and about how she's trying to sleep with all of the gray family and then she's never mentioned again. It's like, oh, wow, maybe you guys were just being really horrible to this architect for no fucking reason. Yeah, that was really, really bizarre. She seemed um, perfectly nice. 
yes yeah she she was fine um and um and yeah so i think at around this point in the movie i just wrote the the note this film is total trash (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, and then and then of course the only logical thing you could do at this point she gets pregnant oh yeah she gets pregnant and um and then he has the most like the most like horribly basic like trash man response to it like i'm offended as a man that people think that men are like this and i know that a lot of men are like this but he's all like i can't deal with diapers and shit like seriously (laughs) you have all the money in the world if you don't want to look after this kid you are going to palm it off to a nanny and ignore it like jacob rees mogg like that is what that is what is going to happen right yeah that that's why are they even just gonna be their kids just gonna be palmed off but i i do find it really weird that she's sort of like we've i like i why why don't you want kids what's wrong why do do you want kids it's like he's 27 she's like 22 23 if she's just graduated and they've gotten married and they've gotten to this point in their relationship without ever discussing if they want kids Bullshit. Yeah, but but like it shouldn't come as a surprise that maybe he's not ready for kids yet because he's yeah. still incredibly young. She's still unbelievably young and they really like having kinky sex. It's like what's going to impact heavily on them being able to have kinky sex? Yeah. Probably if a 2-year-old walks in when he's got a butt plug in his hands. <laughs> yeah, daddy, what are these little silver balls? <laughs> um yeah it's it's i find it weird that they they dramatized it so much and of course she had to accidentally get pregnant and of course they'd never talked about it and of course it was going to be an issue right there and then if he didn't want kids at that moment in time so much so that would that it would damage the relationship because you know what maybe he didn't want kids until he was in his 30s that's fine yeah if like you don't have to want kids but it's like his reaction to it is just so completely egregious and overblown that it just makes no sense and it's like as if she would be careless with her contraception as well she's an adult woman she can take a fucking pill if she can take a butt plug up her she can take a contraceptive (laughs) pill you know um and yeah yeah the the reaction of both of them because the first discussion about it happens before she knows she's pregnant and then she gets pregnant and even before she realizes, even before she knows she's pregnant, the discussion they have is so overblown and ridiculous. And both of them have such awful reactions to it. Just like, Jesus Christ, it's like a pair of teenagers. Yeah. Like, how could you be so stupid? You're going to have a baby. That's a wonderful, lovely thing. Don't. Yeah. And then that becomes the obstacle to their love. Like That becomes the thing that is the main impediment to the romance and the driving force of the plot. Fuck that. Yeah. It's... um it's yeah it's really stupid and like you know what if they didn't want the kid there's other options available yeah <laughs> it's not like a yeah it's 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 just really really overblown and it's another element that really feels like fan fiction yeah this is not how two human adults interact no it is not and then of course like they're basically broken up because of the baby and then what brings them together and makes it all all right a horrible kidnapping Yes. Um, so rather than someone's helicopter crashing, this time everything is made okay by her being chased by a um, by a car. And so you have the silly little action scene where she drives the car really badly. Yeah. Um, and um, and then yeah, it turns out that Rita Ora gets kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Why is Rita Ora in this? It's so strange. <laughs> I don't know, but she's fine. Like she, I haven't she, seen her in. act in anything else. 
No, no, neither have I. Maybe she just really likes the books. Um, and um, and yeah, so she gets kidnapped, and um, so he, so and and the person who's kidnapped her is obviously Mister Gumshoe, Dodgy Gumshoe McGee. Yeah, um, and he's like, I want five million dollars. And so she she goes to the bank and she's like, give oh, me yeah. five million dollars. Really, really tedious thing of about 15 minutes where it's supposed to be rise that like it's supposed to be rising tension but it ends up literally just being a kind of like explanation of how banking works and how much security you have to go through when you're rich it's so boring and so tedious <laughs> and, and what i love is that they get it all wrong that yeah. guy's gonna lose his job oh, he yeah. has not followed security procedures whatsoever for oh yeah this is your area science. if it came yeah. into if it came into your bank she would be laughed out yeah, they would not be allowed to do that um, because, like, people working in banks, even people who work in in a in a normal bank, look out for signs that someone might be making a withdrawal under duress. Um, and and she is clearly making a massive withdrawal under duress, and it doesn't matter that they called up the husband because he is clearly also under duress, even though he doesn't know it. The way that he speaks to the bank manager, they would never allow that transaction to take place because of looking out for the welfare of their customers. Um, so it's completely, it, they didn't even get that right. And and the scene takes a really long time talking about how she wants to get the money out. It's like, bloody hell, you can't even get this scene right. Yeah. And you're putting so much time into it. So um, but, but she gets the money and she runs away and she gets picked up in a car um, and um, and dropped off at, at Angry Gumshoes. Um, and and here there's a few things which are really funny so funny thing number one um she goes oh my god liz how could you do this my note at this point is who the fuck is liz who is liz i have no idea she was like what someone they work with oh yeah she was the secretary at the publishing place is that that who it was because they never show her face she's always wearing a hat and sunglasses (laughs) and it's like how could you do this liz it's like who the hell is liz how, am I supposed to know who Liz is? Everyone knows Liz. Um, th- th- I didn't realise the Queen of England was involved in this. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, so that's the one thing that's funny. And then we find out the double tragic backstory that Gumshoe McGee is the adoption rival to Christian yeah. Grey. <laughs> Which is the most kind of shoehorned in, cliched, unbelievable horseshit. So, so the whole time through the, the third movie and 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 stuff like that, and even in the second movie, you kind of get hints through saying like, "I could have been Christian Grey. He took my life from me." And you kind of think, "Oh, is he talking about the fact that he got him sacked from his job for being uh, sexually abusive to his co-workers, or is it something else?" It's blatantly going to be something else. Yeah, it's going to be um, some really, really tenuous nonsense. Yeah, and so I was thinking like half brother, something like that. But it turns out that they were both in the foster home at the same time and um and they and, and there's, a, there's a photo of them together where they're both about literally 12 years old old enough to remember and neither of the christian has no recollection of it but jack does yes Bullshit. Yeah. um and, uh, and even so... though also christian's 27 and jack's like 40 <laughs> yeah, makes... there's a big age gap <laughs> like um... he looks he looks like a sort of ragged jürgen klopp And um and yeah, so it turns out that uh the that Gumshoe Jack, he's furious that he could have been the billionaire. Um and when, so that's yeah. why Being a really, really hates... famous and successful publisher wasn't enough for him. No, 
no, clearly that was not enough for him at all. Um, and so he he's he's furious and he decides, yeah, I'm going to kidnap Rita Ora and I'm going to get your money and then I'm going to beat you up. And so he beats her up a bit. But that's when the police arrive and they and well, before the police arrive, this is funny thing number three. She pulls out a little gun and shoots him in the leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Um, yeah, because so they, she has the a little useless two security guards that they employ and they spend ages like building up like the characters of the security guards as well for no reason. And they're just useless and they don't do anything. <laughs> No, no, they don't do anything whatsoever. They're not very good at their jobs. I'm and afraid. they're called Sawyer and Prescott. <laughs> which you remembered sounds, their names. Sounds like a dodgy law firm. <laughs> <laughs> then you want to do a PPI claim? Sawyer and Prescott will sort you right out. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm impressed you remember their names, Paddy, because they were so unmemorable, even though they take up a decent amount of screen time. I had it um, written down in my notes. I would not have remembered uh, them otherwise. Okay, okay. I understand. Um, yeah, so um, so that's quite something. And then he gets taken away the, by the police. Liz gets taken away by the police. You know that famous character Liz. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then everyone's reunited. Um, and and we get a little we get a little final sex scene. Oh yeah, um, of course. And um, and then um, you get a little montage again. <laughs> Of all, yeah, literally just reusing footage from all of the, the films, and and not only that, but it was reusing footage from previous montages as well. I think because I swear I saw elements of that montage that I'd seen in the other movies. Um, half of it was literally the first half of the montage from the first film with the same song. It's 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 really impressive, and um and then you get a little bit where they had their kid and their kids walking around, and she's pregnant with another kid. And you're like, yeah, okay, well, well done. You have children. So they decided they were they were okay with it. Yes, yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, and that's how it ends. And and it's and it's terrible. So so I have some I have some overall comments. Cool. Well, I just have to say one more thing about the the portrayal of publishing, which is that in the third film contains the most heinous example of it being completely and utterly wrong. That even like someone in the film industry would know that this is just not something anyone would ever say. There's a scene where she's like, now she's taken Jack High's job and she's like the powerful senior publisher and she's walking through the office just like being important and barking orders at everyone because that's what you do when you're important at work, yeah? Even though nobody works like that because that's not how you communicate with people. But anyway, yeah, she's just like walking past people barking orders and she points at two girls who are holding a book and she's like, yeah, make it, make the font two points bigger on the hard copy and then she walks off. And like, firstly, th- that sentence doesn't make sense, but like... The idea that publishing is about font sizes? What? How fucking dense could you be? Like, (laughs) nobody in publishing sits there and, like, talks about font sizes all day or, like, orders people to make it two points bigger, which is a lot, by the way. Um, You know, we have typographers to do that for us. And, you know, it would be some tedious email from someone anyway. They wouldn't bark it at you. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, Paddy, what you were saying there was very dismissive to typographers. Yeah, well, no, it's it's an incredibly specialised um, like art and profession in and of itself. So this film is incredibly offensive to typographers. So what what you're saying, Paddy, is that they, they took the publishing industry with the same care and attention that they took um, BDSM lifestyles. Yes, absolutely. Possibly more. And, um, and banking 
and literally everything. It, it feels as though this this these movies were made with no care and attention for fact checking, banking, or research, security, the Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> you know, no one comes out of this looking good do they no no they 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 did a i and and i find it frustrating because a lot of this stuff is so easy to check and they just didn't yeah it's Um, and and it frustrates me because because the first movie is directed by someone rather good um sam taylor johnson yep sam taylor johnson she had some disagreements with them didn't didn't she and then there was kind of um there was some falling out and creative differences and stuff that I think did not help the um, the process. But yeah, she done that film about John Lennon. And I think I assumed that she kind of wanted to then do something just a bit more mainstream and kind of break through with this, which is fine. It's like a really good opportunity for that. But yeah, I don't think it went well. No, I mean, they're terrible movies. And then the second and third ones were directed by James Foley, who did bloody Glengarry Glen Ross. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, he directed a lot of episodes of House of Cards as well. No way. Um, Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, oh, also, Glenn a, Ross. he did loads of really good Madonna music videos. He's a really good director. Um, and you just think, like, what the... what? Why? Why? And he did the second and third Fifty Shades movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at it now. Yeah, Glengarry Glen Ross is so good. What's my name? Fuck you. That's my name. <laughs> and um and yeah, it's just it's weird. It's weird that the the number of brilliant people involved in these films. I guess what that tells you um, is that David Mame's storytelling is so expert that you know, it couldn't have been ruined by any director. Not that I'm saying James Foley's bad, but maybe that says that you know, David Mame's story matters more. Well, I think it's more that the the story of Fifty Shades is so unbelievably fucking awful that nobody could do a good job with it. You've got two good directors here. You've got a decent cast. You've got, you know, uh, one of the best um, composers in Hollywood making one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Three of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And well, also as well, apparently E.L. James and her husband um, wrote the scripts for the second and third films so they were like she wasn't happy with how it went so decided to meddle in it herself and i don't think i think that probably just made it even worse yeah it's they're terrible they're absolutely terrible really really bad but who could anyone have done a good job with it well michael bay richard linklater all of our um, main men (laughs) brett easton ellis really wanted to be involved um understandably no one took him up on it because it would have been a very different (laughs) series of films um yeah and um and yeah it's um it's not very good uh let's just let's just put it that way so there's a few things that i took away from it overall um the, the the one thing that, that annoyed me the most is that this is the perfect example of the male gaze being used in what's supposed to be a female-driven story. Yes, absolutely. It's all about him and his power and everything is about kind of pleasing and titillating him. Yeah, well, well more than that, he's basically a, a cardboard cutout. And so I'd say that the focus of the films is more about the degradation of her 
Yeah. Um, and and you look at the focus of it, and this is supposed to be a movie, and particularly you know the first one, written by a woman, directed by a woman, um, from the viewpoint of a woman. But you look at the way that it's framed, and it's all very objectifying. And even in the elements where it tries to show things as pleasing to a woman it's done through the male gaze rather than through the female gaze and i know that there's a lot of theories about is it possible to even have a female gaze in a method of storytelling like cinema which has always been so focused on the male gaze um is it too entrenched in that method of storytelling that it's not possible but here it's like the worst example of male gaze in what should be as far away from that as possible yeah absolutely it's supposed to be it's sold on being empowering for women because it's supposed to help women enjoy sexuality and sex and have some culture that they can that they can enjoy that is about sex but as i said before it's not about sex it's about male power and it tells women that they're supposed to be empowered by being dominated by aggressive men and it yeah it romanticizes abuse yeah and and there's nothing and, and i think the the key takeaway here and, and what a lot of people got too hung up on was there's nothing wrong with being into bdsm and there's nothing wrong with with wanting that kind of dominance in the bedroom that's totally fine um the issue is that the way it frames it around people's day-to-day lives and it doesn't show that kind of consent and trust and and that's where the real issues come in here um and it's really creepy and horrible it is it's not representative of of bdsm at all there's there's no end if you do a quick google search there's no end of bdsm focused criticism from experts dominatrices etc coming back and coming back to it and saying you know it's nothing like this here's what we actually do it is actually about trust and these kind of things and about two people consenting to enjoy to have an experience that they will both enjoy even if the content of it is not normally considered something that would be enjoyable by most people. Yeah. Um, so, in in short, like, get in the fucking bin, guys. Yeah, really, really bad. Very, you know, it's tacky, it's gauche, it's, it's yeah, it, as I said, it's a, it's a suckle at the capitalist teat. And it's just the, the worst, most egregious example of people just making out that the only things that matter in life are wealth and power and male domination and that yeah. this is something to be aspired to and the fact that it sold so well on that basis and of it being kind of aspirational in that way is really actually quite disheartening when you think about well, it isn't I, it I, I don't even think it's sold on that basis i think it's sold on the basis of people wanting to read a bit of smut yeah um and and wanting to read something a bit kinky and and I think that's why it did so well. And that's why the movies did so well, is it was a recreation of these books that people read and they enjoyed that little bit of naughtiness, that little bit of tantalising kink that didn't go far enough to make them question whether they'd actually enjoy it. It was stuff that they already sort of perceived about that kind of lifestyle. That's true, actually. You're right. I think that actually people just bought this wanting some cheap porn. And actually, no one's going into it going, oh, it's such a romantic, wonderful love story. And oh, I wish I was rich like Christian Grey. But the framing of it in the film certainly makes you feel like that's what you're supposed to think. Yeah. And, and the framing of the of the characters in the in the books and the film 
it's all done in that way but pe- that's not why people went into it and i don't know if that's what people will have taken out of it because i don't think anybody's taking any lessons out of these films or these books they're, they're discarded after they're used um and they're used for that bit of of eroticism and then forgotten about absolutely but if you want to read erotica just read erotica man there's so much of it out there i'm sure most of it's great i've never read much of it to be fair but you know looking at i'm looking at the bestsellers now on amazon a lot of them are free on kindle unlimited as well actually the top the top one in erotic and bdsm is called erotica for women with explicit sex by lolita jolie <laughs> kind of does what it says on the tin i have never read this paddy's never read this but it gets the official big boys don't cry seal of approval solely on the name alone yeah oh there's one called okay sponsored products related to this item from stepbrother to daddy (laughs) (laughs) um there's one just called shagged and it's got like a guy in a suit, but you can't see his face. And then, it, like the shagged is a, a Union Jack. Oh my god! I bet it's really awful. Oh, that sounds like gammon erotica, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh dear. Um. Yeah. Like, if you're gonna read smut, just read some smut. Yeah. You know, find out whatever whatever it is that turns you on. We're cool with it. Yeah, it's all good. People can be into what they want. As long as nobody gets hurt, like that's not consensually getting hurt, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, consent and trust, people. Those are the yeah. two most important things. And Fifty Shades made a mockery of both of those things. Yes. Um, which which is the main thing that people have criticised it for, and rightly so. Um, so get out. Um, so so for me, this is far worse than the Royal Romance movies, Paddy. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Far, far Those are genuinely way more competent. So let's get let's get the scores up. Is this I think is this gonna be the is this worse than Baywatch? I would say yes, it is worse than Baywatch. I think I think I would agree. I think I would agree. So wait, let me just sort this list by average score. <laughs> I just, I've put I've put episode sixty nine and then in all of the other columns I've just put nice. <laughs> Uh, right, let's see. Um, sort range by average score. Welcome to Excel cast, everybody. <laughs> Excel cast. Okay, lowest average score is Baywatch with 3.5. I gave it a 3, you gave it a 4. How are we going to rate the Fifty Shades trilogy? Uh, so, yeah, how are we going to rate it out of 20? Um how many butt plugs <laughs> how many butt plugs are you wearing as a fascinator yeah. out of 20 <laughs> yeah because you put them on your head yeah. that's where they go yeah um i don't know and would it be i mean you can't give it a zero because it is a film there are there are, <laughs> there are three of them there's literally some content. Yeah, there the is content. Well, let's see. I gave Baywatch a three, and it's worse than Baywatch. So I guess on that basis, I have to give it a two. But there is, I mean, I really tried to be positive. I didn't go into it wanting to hate it, you know. But there's, there's really nothing to like about it. It has no redeeming features whatsoever. Yeah, it, it, like because I, I always go into films trying to give them a fair shake. 
Yeah. Um, you've got to, you know, you can't go into into any movie with preconceptions that are going to make you hate it already. Um, and I really tried to understand it, but it's it's awful. It, that all of them are yeah. awful. Um, I'm going to go for three out of 20. I'm going to go one higher than you. Um, one point zero points for the first movie. Oh, you're doing genuinely... it per, per film. So, so I'm yeah. thinking about doing a little tally and like working it out that way. See, the I first... can't go any higher than two, otherwise the typographers will kill me. <laughs> see, see, the first movie was, I think, my least favorite of the lot. Um, because it was so unbelievably boring. The entire thing was just about an abusive relationship with a few random sex scenes thrown in. It was one of I was so unbelievably bored. Yeah. Um, zero for that one. Second movie really bad but i'm gonna give it one point because it raised two interesting questions that it then completely failed to answer um plus it had helicopter crash yeah you know which he very quickly recovered from which he recovered from very quickly and it had the chronicles Um, of riddick and it had the chronicles of riddick third movie that gets two points for me because it had stupid mystery plot um it had holiday in aspen it had guy getting shot in leg. All of those things vaguely woke me from my catatonic state. Uh, you <laughs> at you least just for enjoyed the um, the the explanations of banking procedures. You enjoyed seeing that, you know, I mean, rep- yeah. representation of yourself on screen. <laughs> That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted from a film. Um, so I'm going to give that one two points because it was really dumb, but at least it was more entertaining than the other two. But it was still one of the worst things I've ever seen. But overall, I'm giving it a three one point higher than you still one of the worst things i've ever seen still worse than baywatch just about yeah so that means it has an average score of 2.5 which is definitely our lowest so to to actually go below that you'd have to be super like just so awful i mean we should make it our quest to find something that is even worse and that does score lower than 2.5 but that is genuinely our lowest score yet yeah i i can't imagine us finding anything worse than that but i dear listeners dear listeners let me speak directly to you for a moment hello you're gonna break this the fourth is, wall this is rob here how are you today i hope you're doing well um these movies are fucking awful don't watch them they're really bad we sat through them i hated myself for it i wish i'd never agreed to do it they're they're awful never watch them ever 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 it's about six and a half hours in total like or maybe six hours and 20. Like, imagine what you could be doing with your life in that time. Think about how much brilliant kinky sex you could be having in six and a half hours. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You could have an incredible sex session in that amount of time. You get all manner of kinks dealt with. Yeah, exactly. And, And rather than doing that, you're sitting here watching other people do it for like five minutes for every like two hour long movie yeah and all that you really get to see is the side peen if you're lucky if you're lucky you see a bit of side peen that is it or a bit of his pubes (laughs) and i know that's what turns people on everyone likes a bit of male pube action yeah it's the the best part of the man (laughs) um Mm. but yeah these 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 movies suck man (laughs) If you compare really it to, to Twilight, the Twilight Saga, we get that scored an average of 6.5. So it's a full four points ahead of this. It's kind of, it's unruly, sexy child. Yeah, Twilight was much better than this. 
Yeah, like way, like way better. better. And like whilst whilst I was watching these films, I was thinking occasionally, oh god, I wish I was watching Twilight again. Yeah, at least which... that had Michael Sheen throwing a baby into a fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just laughing maniacally. Yeah, at least because at least Twilight had some mad shit to throw at you every yeah. now and again. There was those moments of weird, which would never have flown if the books weren't so popular. I mean, the weird sex scene in the last Twilight film, where Robert Pattinson like breaks the bed and it's all ghostly, that was sexier than anything in Fifty Shades. Yes, yeah, exactly. It was. It was. There's very little of anything in this movie that's sexy. Yeah. No, it's just very, very tedious. It is a it is a hornless trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the quote to put on your on the back of your DVD boxes. <laughs> this is a hornless trilogy. trilogy. <laughs> Rob Gordon, Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. <laughs> That's going to be on the DVD box set. Yeah, that's what I, that's, guys, you know, you've got the quote right there for you. <laughs> A hornless trilogy. It sounds sounds like a, like a breed of lizard. <laughs> oh dear. Um, oh boy. So, do you have anything else to add about this train wreck of a trilogy of films? No, it's it's very it's very bad and best avoided. But you know, if you hate yourself, dedicate six hours to it. Why not? Yeah, if you really want to put you through put yourself through pain. Yeah. Then, uh, then don't do kinky sex. Watch these movies. Yeah, well, ge- genuinely, we we joke about our kind of silly film ideas, but Opposite Day would be a way better film than this. Yeah, <laughs> all of our film ideas would be better than this. We need to talk to Mark Wahlberg and just be like, mate, Fifty Shades got made. There's no, there's no <laughs> way that there's no way that this could be worse. And if I have to write the novel of Opposite Day and get it published first, so it can be acquired, the film rights can be done that way. I will do it because I'm committed to the cause. There we go. I think we found our answer right there. Yeah. I'm going to get to work. It'll probably take six and a half hours. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so, Paddy, oh. I think it's your your choice next, isn't it? Yeah. This what are you going to do to get us out of this mad funk? This was definitely your idea. I'm, there's no, I'm not going to let you get away with not... <laughs> saying that this yeah 50 shades is definitely assigned to you oi oi Um, i will have dear listeners let me let me speak to hi listeners hello hello um this was a you you look lovely have you done something new with your hair you know I, i i love all of you this was a collaborative decision between me and paddy to watch these movies i'm not letting him put it just on my shoulders that is unfair that's that's not you know, I'm going to cry now. You need to wear this like a butt plug. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. This, well, this, any, anyway, this, ha, yes. have what, you, what have we got next? Have you seen Mamma Mia 2 or is there a chance you can see it or is it not showing at your local IndiePlex? I think it had a brief appearance and then disappeared. So I think it might have to wait until it comes out on the DVDs, I'm afraid. Cool. That'll be fine. We can do it then. Because w- we went to see it last week and it's... I, I don't want to spoil it, but it's infinitely better than any Fifty Shades film. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's it's great. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, in that case, we need to go back to Netflix. Um, have you heard about this film, To All the Boys I've Loved Before? Yes. Yeah. Um 
is that what you're suggesting? Because if so, I'm yes, fully yes. on board, and it's yes, what I, I was going to pick next week if you didn't. So. No, I, yeah, I'm su- I'm suggesting it definitely for sure. I think it's timely. It's good. I've actually already watched it, so I won't spoil it. Hey, but, cool. Um, okay, but yeah, lot lot of conversation to buzz around it at the moment. So I feel like it's a good like it's a good shout. It's very stuff. very different from Fifty Shades. So, <laughs> do they know what a butt plug is? I'm pretty sure they do. Yeah, they're teenagers. Okay, good. Yeah, so that'd be good. Cool, excellent. Um, do we have any cool. other business? No, I don't think so. We've we've run on quite long talking about how terrible these films are. So I think I think I need to go to bed. Yeah, same here. Yeah, but you know, I'm glad we did it because they're an important romantic phenomenon. Yes, it's important that we talked about it, even yeah. though I hate myself for watching them. Yes, me too. I still feel a bit dirty. <laughs> and not in a good way. No, not in a Christina Aguilera way. Yeah. With two R's. Yeah, or three. Or three. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll just leave it there. But as always, this has been the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. If you have any anything you want to talk to us about, drop us a line on the emails, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com, on the Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Always love to hear from you. Um, and leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts from helps us to climb up the charts etc be very much appreciated if you like what we do if you don't well just go and watch 50 shades yeah go watch 50 shades if you don't like us get out yeah you you deserve it if you don't like us yeah (laughs) Yeah. go and waste six hours of your life yeah yeah all right we'll be back next week to talk about to all the boys i've loved before all righty bye bye bye